Hello, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is David Turner. Uh, today's episode deals with the thorny and sticky, but uh, you can't be thorny and sticky at the same time, can you? Anyway, difficult issue for some of getting paid as an artist, uh, whether that be work in institutions, in schools, or performing at events. It can always be tricky when you're... Uh, quoting your fees or sending invoices out and the worst of all chasing invoices that haven't been paid today's episode is hosted by the wonderful Paula Varjak whose practice currently or last year or so has been heavily involved with talking about how we get paid how much we should get paid how transparent we should be in these matters as artists she's joined by Liv Winter and Dan Simpson the plan was to have Rebecca Atkinson Lord join us, um, but she couldn't make it, and Dan jumped in at the last minute and did a very good job. Um, I'm going to put links to Rebecca's writing because a lot of her writing is very relevant to this discussion. Big thank you to the Arts Council for making this episode possible. Um, we go into just what role the Arts Council funding uh, played in this episode during the discussion. And thank you to Spread the Word, who uh, really kindly let us use a room for recording in. Paula is going to be performing her show, Show Me The Money, at uh, Camden People's Theatre on the 14th or 15th of October 2016. So hopefully by the time you've listened to this, there'll still be a chance to get tickets for that if you're if you're able to make it. As always, you can find us on Facebook, SoundCloud and Tumblr, Lunar Poetry Podcasts, on Twitter at silent underscore tongue, and now on iTunes. Uh, I can't remember exactly when I started this project, but it was sometime the first week of uh, October in 2014. So this week sees us celebrate our two-year anniversary or birthday. So I think for the next 12 months, we're going to go walking around like a stroppy toddler. And as with last month's discussion about poetry in schools, the writers involved with this episode are all quite keen to keep the conversation going. So if you've got any points to be made about transparency and artist fees and how honest we should all be with each other, then... I think the best place to start is probably either with our Twitter account, silent underscore tongue, or to get hold of Paula Varjak on that's uh, Show Me The Money blog or on Twitter. And then we'll work out, depending on how many people want to chime in, we'll work out the best place to centralise that conversation. But do get in touch if you've got anything to say. It's an important conversation, one that as artists we should all be part of. Enjoy the chat. Hello, you are listening to the Lunar Poetry Podcast, and my name is Paula Varjak. I am the guest host for today's episode, which I guess we're going to call Show Me the Money. Really, I'm getting a nod from, from Silent David. <laughs> <laughs> the genius behind this podcast invited me here. Um, so I am joined by two guests, Dan Simpson and Liv Winter. Say hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, we were meant to, Dan has actually very kindly come in last minute and saved the day because we were meant to have Rebecca Atkinson Lord, who unfortunately couldn't come today, but because we feel her work has been so relevant to the subject of art and money, we very much encourage you to read some of her writings on the subject, which David is going to post alongside a blog and other social media for this podcast. Uh, Dan, Liv, how would you like to introduce what you do and what you're about as artists? Uh, my name is Liv Winter. I'm a working class queer female writer. Um, I do a lot of work about uh, gender and sexuality, but also about class and also about survival, how to survive in the arts as a woman who is broke. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I'm Dan. I'm a middle-class sounding straight <laughs> white uh, artist. <laughs> Um, I kind of feel myself as a poet, a performer, and a producer. Great, and I guess I should, so what, what am I? Well, I think the easiest answer is I'm an artist, which is like a really brilliant sort of like meaningless term. Mm. We quite like the ambiguity of it. But I'm an artist working in uh, video theater and spoken word. And I've spent the last two years of my life investigating the very question that Liv mentioned, which is how can you be an artist mm. and still survive? Um, that led to me interviewing 44 people um, in 12 cities around the country. Some of them were artists, some of them were parents of artists, some of them were programmers, some of them were in funding. I interviewed a six-year-old little girl who wanted to be a singer. I interviewed a 50-year-old actress who finally felt stable about her practice two years ago. Oh, um, exactly. <laughs> and then, although it's interesting about that because she said that's not a reason to be concerned and I, I'm starting mm. to believe her. Mm. But the end of the show resulted in me writing a manifesto and David said it would be a good idea to open with that. So this is my manifesto for artists in a crumbling arts economy. Hustle the system, but not each other. Be open, be honest. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Know your worth. Stand up for yourself. Share resources, create opportunities, and galvanize. In order to survive, you're going to need a phenomenal amount of self-belief. Believe in yourself. Surround yourself with those who believe in you. Support others when they have doubt. Give feedback and criticism constructively. Look out for one another. There are so many solutions for survival. Talk to those who work differently. Know what works for you. Play the long game. Find ways to create and perform and display outside of allocated art spaces. Live in a place that feeds you. Know what you need from that place. If something is missing, be part of creating it, but also be open to settling elsewhere. You don't have to be in London or even in this country, but if you want to be, you need to fight for it and find allies. Find allies. Fight. Speak up when you're spoken over and left out. Speak up for those spoken over and left out. Make those with privilege aware of their privilege. Check your privilege. Share your privilege. Know it can be crushingly hard. Know that it can suddenly change. We all have different access. We all have different abilities. We all have different advantages. Don't judge. But don't be afraid of being judged either. <laughs> so now what I'm going to do, so what I did when I was making the show is I, I asked a series of something crazy like like 35 questions. I've reduced it to, I think, about 15 here. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw the questions into the room and either Dan or Liv will jump in first. And my, the first one is always my favorite one, which is if money was a person, a person that you had some kind of relationship with, like a partner or, or a friend or a teacher, uh, what kind of person would that be and how would you describe your relationship? Mine would be like really overbearing parent who never lets me do anything remotely fun or exciting. You know, I think that would be mine. <laughs> I mean, when we, you asked me this question a while back for the, for the show, I think I remember saying like they were a, a kind of casual friend that like a quite distant friend you see maybe a couple of times a year if you're lucky. Mm. Um, you have a hard time meeting up with them. Um, <laughs> they're uh, they're a little bit unavailable. You know, they're there. You know, you know if you 
probably if you really needed them, they'd, they'd find you, maybe. Um, I, I think, I don't know if that's still quite true. I think that's probably still about right for me. Mm. Yeah. How, how do you feel about the question, what do you do when you meet people who are not artists? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a barmaid. So when people <laughs> ask me what I do, I say, I work on a bar. And then mm. if I think that they're interesting, I might start talking to them about being an artist as well. But the thing that, the thing that pays my rent at the moment is bar work. So I'm a barmaid. <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the stage where poetry is paying my rent. Um, so I do say I'm a poet to people, mm. um, and you do you get such a mixed reaction. Normally, when you talk to other like professionals in sort of teaching or um, the sort of professional sort of class of, of work, uh, they say and you can make a living from that, like a incre- little bit incredulously usually, and, and you kind of have to break it. You, you, it's almost not like you're quite proving yourself. So you, feel, you shouldn't feel like you have to, but you do feel like you should say, yeah, you know, mm. like just about. You, and then you kind of break it down into what that really means, which is like teaching in schools or uh, running projects. And it's not actually writing or performing poetry that makes your living. Mm. Um, it's the kind of admin stuff and the production stuff and the behind the scenes stuff that kind of works for that. So, yeah, there's a little bit of justifying, I think, to certain people. Uh, when, you, when you speak to other sort of poets and other artists, they're just like, cool. And that's it. That's it. Like, done. Yeah, they're just accepting. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, yeah. A very, very mixed response. So. How much do you feel... Uh, how much do you feel you sort of uh, rate or or judge someone as being a, a real or professional artist by virtue of whether you get a sense that they make a living from it? I think to a, de- I, to a degree, I think if you, not, I'm not saying you have to make a whole living from art to be a professional at all. I don't think that's, that's, a, that's a stupid criteria. <laughs> um, but I think... Uh, I guess it's two things. It can be money, but it's also probably quality. Um, and obviously that's pretty subjective. I know we're going to talk about quality a little bit later with this New Arts Council framework weirdness. Um, but yeah, I think, I think to a degree money is important in terms of figuring out... Profe- but what does the term professional mean? I know mm. brilliant amateurs who don't earn money from it, but are fantastic performers, poets. So yeah. That's a really rubbish answer. I think think I'm interested in ideas of professionalism because I think that um, the hardest thing about trying to do a career in arts is how much of your own admin you have to do, how much of your life is consumed by like arguing with people about invoices and (laughs) sending 50 emails a day and applying for things that they're not even going to send you a confirmation that they've got your application. All this stuff takes so much time. That for me is the professional side of Mm. my practice and it is part of my practice. Doing business is definitely like 50% of my art practice. All those negotiations, the way in which I like... Uh, speak to certain people or the way in which I word an email like that's totally part of my writing practice entirely so I think that and also it's difficult we were saying earlier like some months I can totally pay my rent and survive off of just my arts another month I might have nothing like literally not a show you don't know you don't know when you're going to come when you're going to be up and down so I don't really know whether I can think about um, professionalism I think it's a really capitalist thing to think about professionalism Mm. and money is like equalitive in some way like Mm. because I know really professional people who spend their whole life living in the squat doing activism but like are the most professional business minded people I know because they have to be so I don't don't really know if there can be many lines drawn between money and professionalism I wish 50% of my time was uh, admin and (laughs) that professional thing you defined that would be lovely it's probably like 90% of me Um, 
that would be nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like 10% yeah. of what I do, 15% is probably actual art. Mm. And then the rest of it is, yeah, like you say, funding applications and admin and invoicing and emails. And yeah. But for me, that is kind of part of it. Like that's what sort of makes it a profession, yeah. you know, like most, most jobs don't, I don't know, my partner's a midwife. So like all she does is it's practice, it's literally called practice, you know, and mm. she's practicing midwifery all the time, 100%. Uh, obviously, she has to write stuff up, but that's part of the practice. For me, I see that admin side as part of being a poet. Yeah, I've totally. Kind of, I've kind of, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, but I certainly didn't when I first started. Like when, I was, when you're doing this as a hobby, which is where I think art starts for most of us, um, or for a lot of us anyway, you do it on the side and it's the passion. That's all, you're just doing it purely for the love of it. You're not thinking about the spreadsheets you're going to have to make later. You're not thinking about the, you know, the, uh, the amazing 50 word bio you've tightly written that's the best credits and is a little bit cheeky and oh my gosh, all that sort of stuff. But it kind of becomes part of it when it becomes a job as well as the thing you love doing. And it's very much a job. How does it change time. when it becomes a job for you guys? Um, I think you get the usual job burnout, which you don't get as, I don't think so much when it's just something you do sort of on the side of what your, your main thing that gives you money is. Um, so I certainly definitely get disenchanted with the whole thing, probably more regularly than I would if I was dipping in and out on the open mic circuit, for example. Mm. Um, I think that's okay though. When, when I first started, I, I first started like performing maybe a year and a half ago and um, did like my first gig and spoke to my mum about it and was like, mum, I'm doing this thing, I've been writing rap, like, I'm doing this now, it's ridiculous. She was like, yeah, that's ridiculous, but it's fine. <laughs> and then she was like, are you being paid? And I was like, mm. well, I've already done one show and I haven't mm. been paid. And she was like, right, what, what day was it on? And I was like, it was a Friday. She was like, right, so you've taken the night off work. I was like, yeah. yeah. She was like, right, so you've lost 50 quid yeah. to do that. You've had drinks at that show, it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, right, so you've cost yourself hundred pounds yeah. to stand in some place in Peckham yeah. and, and shout like yeah. that's not cool you can't do that so I've actually only done one unpaid show that hasn't been for charity because I never did an unpaid show after that I just decided that I just didn't have the time but oh. people will people will only treat you as professionally as you put yourself out like I think yeah. you have to talk yourself out way higher yeah. than you actually are like I definitely put my foot down but also because I do so much voluntary stuff for like Sisters Uncut and like lots of the um, activist collectors I do and I wouldn't be able to take the time to do that unless I was making sure mm. everything else was paid mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also like sometimes like, I do work in private schools and they'll pay really well which means I can go and do the same workshop for free in a youth club and not loo and not like put myself yeah. in, in any stress about it so yeah I don't know yeah my mum pretty early on was like, <laughs> was like this is not how it works, babe. Like, you're, you're doing work, you should be paid. And like, I've just kind of always kept that in my head, I think. That's I such think, a true thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's something that I, I make a real... I mean, Dan and I work together and we produce events and both of us feel really strongly about... I mean, we tend to do events that have so many artists, it's ridiculous, we can't we're really sitting. pay people we're probably. But, but within that, we always at the very least get like a couple rounds of drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's something that... Because I used to live in Berlin and like in Berlin, it's just like a basic thing... If you're doing an event, um, even if you're doing a poetry slam, you get a drink ticket and you don't pay to get in. That is just mm. a given, yeah, you yeah. know? I appreciate it's a little bit harder to do that in London sometimes because of the cost of drinks and because sometimes a promoter is paying for hire. Mm. But for me, I don't know. I think also, like, like when I was, I, I trained as a filmmaker before I started performing, and it was a given thing in an unpaid set, at least all the ones I worked on, that you would cover expenses mm -hmm. of the performers who you're working with. And just this understanding of, okay, I might not be able to afford to pay you, I might not be a level where I have a budget, 
but I certainly don't want anyone who's giving up their time to be losing money yeah, exactly. on a project for me <laughs> yeah. when I'm developing further as an art. There should be some form of exchange. Mm. And so for me, one of the things that get, gets under my skin about some unpaid work is, well, there's two things. It's the, it's the organizers not thinking about everything that your mom brilliantly delineated, mm. but it's also about artists being so grateful for the opportunity yeah. of having a platform that yeah. they're not thinking about the entire mechanism that they're working in. Like, how much money is the bar making? Mm. What is the money they're putting aside for their time? What is the other work they're not meant to do? All that stuff. And I think there, there's reasons to do unpaid work and, and not, which I think would be interesting to go into next. But I think it's really important to think carefully about are you losing money for someone and is that mm. worth your time? Yeah, totally. So following on that, when would you guys now do unpaid work, if ever? Oh uh, Yeah, charity stuff for sure. Like... Um, did a commission poem the other day for the Children's Society, great you know charity I think. Um, I'm doing some yeah voluntary work for uh, not yeah for Christchurch Uni, but that's like to help a family friend out. So yeah. it's like you know not, it, but it certainly has to be limited. I think when you're giving up your time voluntarily, I think you have to put quite strict borders around it because otherwise you just end up saying yes and yes and yeah. yes and suddenly you have no time for the professional the money making stuff or the. Or even just to relax. Sometimes downtime's nice. So yeah, I definitely, I, for sure. But I mean, as a promoter as well, who's trying to make nights happen um, without any funding, usually, and fluctuating audience numbers that you know you might be building something new. It might be you know it's always slightly it's always risky putting on a gig. You can't predict you know the audience necessarily. So nights would be like for us impossible to make without artists' goodwill and artists voluntarily giving up their time to help out. Um, and sure, you can treat them nicely in terms of profit share and buying a drink and all that sort of stuff, and that's integral, but you're not really paying them for the time mm. they deserve if they're professionals, if they're high quality and all that stuff. Um, but because I book people, I will happily go and do that as well. Mm. It's quid pro quo, of course, I would do your night for nothing because I've asked you to do mine. So I think that kind of swap and exchange is really good. And, and it's recognizing as a favorite, right? Because I, yeah. I think also with both of us, I mean, I would like I would like to far more be in situations where I have budget where I can pay people. But I think for me, one of the things is as soon as I'm in a situation where there's a bit of a fee or a really decent fee, the first people I'm going to go to are those people who are regularly giving my favors, doing profit yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's definitely yeah that thing builds up, and but that's also partly the trajectory of going from amateur to professional. You, it's like an apprenticeship mm. in a way. Obviously, in a lot of professions, apprenticeships are paid uh, at least a basic way. You're going to get your, a bit of money coming in. The thing that doesn't necessarily work so well in arts, particularly if you're over 25 or over 30, mm. is there aren't there isn't that income as you're developing. You have to somehow reach this. I was talking to somebody recently. It's that kind of thing you're saying, Liv, about stepping off and start, starting to demand money for yourself. Say, so actually, I'm not open mic level. Mm. I'm, I'm better now. I need I need to be paid for this because I'm good enough mm. and I deserve that. It's a really hard decision to make, and there's this weird. I'm thinking for poetry. There's this grey area between stepping off the open mic, particularly if you're not under 25, uh, and going into that kind of I'm gonna I want a fee now. I want to do 20 minute sets and get a fee for that. You're good, too good for open mic, not good enough for that, or you don't have experience in that, or no one's seen you do that. So it's kind of how do you step yourself up to that level without that self belief or without that mm. training, you know? I really totally tough, blagged really it. Hard. Of course you do. You have to. I, I, me too. Like I was doing, you say yes to your school first school workshop. You go, yeah, I totally can do that. Never worked in a school in my yeah, life. Yeah. And of course you just go, yeah, I'll figure it out. I hope yeah. it'll work out. Um, but that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, but I feel like if you're the kind of person who has 
who has the confidence to blag it, you might have the wherewithal to actually yeah. prepare yourself properly That's true. That's true. to able to handle the situation when, when yeah. you're given the situation. And obviously, yeah. however you get the opportunity, there are only further opportunities if you smash that first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So however you get in the door, you get in the door, mm. but then it's still gonna be like hard work and determination yeah. to get for, and luck. I think so much of it is, yeah, definitely. is luck. How, how honest do you think people are about other income streams they have as mm. artists? Because one of the things I find really interesting um, over the last years is I feel like, at least in this country, the arts become increasingly professionalized to a level where more and more often you'll meet people who say, like, you know, this is, uh, I only do work for X, I don't do unpaid gigs, and this is what I do. Um, but within that, I since moving back to London a few years ago, I discovered more and more often that there were other income streams that people wouldn't tell you about, and then you mm. got to know them better. And later, you'd find out about a, a, a job maybe mm. they don't mention, or a partner, or the fact they live with their yeah, parents, or yeah. all kinds of stuff. And I'm just yeah. wondering, within not not your friends, but I guess just like your general art peer groups, like. How honest do you think artists are about that? You can all say London versus the rest well, of the Well, I went Goldsmiths in it, and that is, Me too. that is home of not being honest about who pays your rent. Like, they invented lying about their income as an artist. Like, everyone turns up, like, speaks like they're from South London, dresses like they're from South London. And or, you're from South London. Yeah, and then all of them have incredibly rich parents yeah. who are painters. Mm. I don't know, like, well, I did this residency um, in Liverpool, uh, called How Much Are They Paying You? And it was in retaliation to the New Contemporary show, which is the art show there that you have to pay £25 to apply to be in. Wow. There's no fee. Yeah. Um, so we went to Liverpool where the show was taking place and I employed lots of people, just not even artists, just lots of people from Liverpool to come and fly for me and do workshops with me. Um, we paid them all like £15 an hour. But one of the things we did was I printed the in the entirety of where my three grand budget had gone. Like mm. everything, including how much I paid myself, my rent, everything. Like black and white, this is what it was. And we also worked out like how much £25 was in Liverpool for your rent, how many bus rides that would wow. get you. We did a £25 food shop and stuff. Mm. And um, I, I, I personally feel like the only way to like actually be able to have decent conversations about money is total transparency and that involves even when you feel like maybe you've done something a bit dodgy maybe or like during the <laughs> Liverpool show I had the three grand budget which yeah. for, for like two and a half week residency is not a lot of money at all that I was really having to stretch mm. so it meant that some of my friends I, I decided I was gonna pay students who'd applied for new contem contemporaries from the Liverpool Art School and not got in, I refunded them the £25 and they came and performed with me instead. Mm. But I also paid some of my friends who are established, very good artists, £25 mm. to do videos for me. And at the time, although it was the point was it was this 25 number, I felt really weird about the fact that I'd paid artists who would normally be paid £150 for yeah. something. 25 quid and I was really worried about the backlash of, of what that would be but luckily everyone kind of got the project and was, was invested in it but I do think it's really important to just be totally transparent like I, I'll always tell people where all of my money is coming from and all the time because people should know about that because also people should feel uncomfortable when I say to them I'm 15 pound over my two grand overdraft right now and like <laughs> Today, after this, I'm running to the bank. Like, that's mm. what's happening. Yeah. Especially because I look successful on Facebook. I look like I'm doing really well. My friends are always like, you're so busy, you're so busy. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but also, <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> you know, it's, it's totally, you have to drag it out of people, like, where, where they're coming from and what they're doing. But, but what I'm interested in is, uh, going back to the questions, like, how honest do you think people run your art? So you said goldsmiths, you think, maybe not. But since leaving there, just the artists you generally interact with, 
do you feel like people are generally straight up with you about... Um, I, I'm talking specifically about people who say to you, when you say, what are you doing? You just say, I'm an artist. Mm. And I'm not saying anyone... I also don't believe that anyone has to say at that point, and I have a bar job. I, if you're an artist, you're an artist. Yeah, end yeah. of. Mm. But I'm just wondering how much you think people might be shady or uncomfortable about saying, oh, but actually, these are my other income streams. Mm. And I put them all together. I mean, I think if you, if you were in a, I, I don't know, this might be controversial, but uh, obviously if you're being supported in some way or, or you have another job, but I, don't, I even think if you're living with your parents and your parents live in London, that gives you a massive yeah, privilege totally. to other people yeah, in the country yeah, yeah, yeah. who would like to be here. Yeah. Like that is an income stream too. Yeah. Like pretty much any situation where you're not paying rent puts you at an advantage to most people in the country, I would, mm. I would have thought. So yeah. I don't know. What about in the, your circles, how honest do you think people are about whatever those other income streams are? Um most people, most people I think I talk to, uh, because there's not a huge amount of people making much of a living from poetry. I think like most people would, you'd know they were bullshit. You know, maybe their income from uh, doing their art. I, I think it would be pretty transparent. I, I also think I know most people seem to have pretty nice, cool jobs. Like yeah. in, the, in the arts world, most people aren't working in banking or, mm. or, or working for, I don't know, advertising for like cigarettes or something ridiculous. So mm. they don't have anything to hide in a sort of liberal left leading sort of general uh amongst their peers so i don't know most people are pretty happy in their jobs and they, they're all right with it yeah you know? i think the thing that i really enjoy is the like clause that comes when people do finally tell you yeah, and they're yeah, like yeah. uh or they'll be like the classic one that i used to have at goldsmiths was like uh yeah no i did go to private school but my parents worked really hard <laughs> so that. I'd be like, okay i don't doubt that that yeah, happened yeah, but yeah. like but I, get, like, but I live with my parents, but like I pay them like fifty pound a month rent. It's like okay, like I don't care. Like it's it's not about that. But I think it, that's so interesting for me because okay, so like for my full disclosure, as someone who went to Goldsmiths, because because one of the things for me, um, there were a series of events that that led to me making making this show, and um, I so I basically uh, never considered being an artist because it it just seemed it just seemed like. I didn't want to be in a situation where I was a freelancer and I didn't want to starve and that's what artists did from what yeah. I understood. Mm. So I, I went to film school and then and then I just had bar jobs and chop jobs because that's what a film school graduate does. Mm. And then eventually I somehow blagged my way into career as a as a production manager um, for an animation company on a fairly inflated salary. <laughs> Um, and because I was making really, really good money for the first time and benefiting from rent being very, very low in East London, like mm. 15 years yeah, ago, wow. um, I, I bought a flat with a substantial amount of help from my parents. Um, and it was only because of that, that when I started to kind of go, I hate my life. I don't want to do this work anymore. I could go, I know I'll rent out my apartment and go to Berlin and see what happens. And at the time... The exchange rate was so drastic between the pound and the euro. I could pay my mortgage um, by renting out the flat. I could also pay my rent in Berlin. And for the first six months, I had like a little bit of money, like another wow. 150 euros on the side wow. just to live. That's so and nice. that's pretty much the only reason I have a practice. <clears throat> like I never felt I could take that leap in, in mm. London, you know, but mm. by having that freedom and having that time and being in another place opened all that up to me. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I then worked really, really hard. Mm. I went back, I came here and I did a master's 
But again, like mm. my parents paid for that master's. I couldn't have afforded it on mm. my own. Mm. And I think one of the things that got me moving back is I thought I had all these friends in London who were full-time artists, poets even, surviving as artists. And then when I graduated, I kind of was able to make that work for about five or six months. And then I, and then I just couldn't. And I mm. felt like, God, like <clears throat> what am I... What am I doing wrong? Like yeah. everyone I know, and I'm like, I'm in such a privileged situation, and if I can't make it work, then how is anyone else making it work? And I'm, I'm applying for these schemes, and I'm doing these workshops, and, and I'm starting to charge a fee, and like higher fees, and I'm performing at the places that you're supposed to perform, mm -hmm. and it's not working. And then I discovered the reason it wasn't working is because most people I knew were not honest <laughs> yeah. to me about those other income yeah. streams. And yeah. then they go, Oh my God, of course I did, yeah. you know? And I was like, but I moved back to London because yeah, I thought yeah. this was possible. Yeah, my, when, I, when I was choosing my GCSEs and A-levels and that, and I wanted to do arts, I wanted to do like music, drama and art at GCSE, my parents were like, no, you're not allowed. You can only do it if you, if you have a part-time job because if you want to do arts, you're going to have to do shit jobs forever. And I was like, okay, cool. So I got a part-time job, started working and then did my GCSEs. Same rule for my A-levels, right? You can do that, but you need to get a bar job. So I got a bar job, did my A-levels. Then I wanted to go to uni and do it. That's fine, right? As long as you're working, as long as you're working. So for me, there's never been a question of, I wouldn't see myself as more successful if I didn't have my bar job. Like that doesn't, in my head, I'm not thinking like, oh, I can't wait to not have to do this thing. Because in my head, like they're quite a good balance. Also like, I don't know, there's, for me, like I don't want to get too lost in kind of the crazy, <clears throat> unreliableness of the arts world I really like the fact that I know that minimum three three days a week I have somewhere that I have to be and I have to go speak to some regulars and watch Millwall on the football like it's fine like I actually think that's quite a nice thing but yeah I think that I'd, I'd had it so instilled in me from when I was like 14 that like cool if you want to do this you can do that but you have to work the whole time because that's the only way that you'll survive so but I then but then the only thing I really really respect you for saying um yeah, I'm an artist, I've got this bar job, but that doesn't mean I'm less of an artist. But then I would challenge you a little bit on why earlier when I said, what's your answer to the what do you do question, you just said, I'm a barmaid. Like, why is, why is the first thing you say, I'm a barmaid rather than I'm an artist? And I get it's because you make a living from yeah, being a barmaid. Yeah. But I mean, for me, I'm also interested in unpicking this thing of most professions involve you're successful because you make money from it, mm. you make a living from it. I think art is in this weird parallel universe. Mm. So I'm also curious about challenging this idea of why can't we just be an artist because you make art and claim being an artist? Yeah. Why is a thing we do have to be defined by because you make money yeah. from it? I think I like saying that I'm a barmaid because for me, barmaids are like storytellers. So I'm like, I'm a barmaid, which means I'm quite funny and I tell good stories and I can yeah. pull a pint, which is like not dissimilar to like my writing. <laughs> so I quite like it as a crossover. I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I also don't think that you have to be making money off your art to be an artist. I don't mean you have to go to art school. I've got lots of friends who do like queer performance art, who never went uni and who do lots of unpaid work just because they love it. They just want to get on stage, jump around and they're just as much an artist as anyone else. Like I don't, I don't think you have to, I don't think it has to be your career in order for you to use the, use I, the term. Yeah, I think this, it touches on something which is definitely true in poetry, um, which is the kind of uses of it mental health for well-being for expression for ranting for all this stuff which can be mm. yeah which, which can be entertaining as well and so there's definitely gray areas and it crosses over mm. then you also have it as entertainment for an audience mm. less about you more about people 
Um, and I think sometimes it gets confused. And I think it gets confused in events you see, mm -hmm. uh, which are more about the performers than they are about the audience. And uh, I think it happens for us as well. So I think where people start calling themselves, you don't do accountancy as like a casual thing on the side. Mm, real, Probably, real, unless, real, you're, yeah, unless yeah, you're an yeah, artist, yeah, yeah. you do. Um, but it's, it's, I think this is where the, the, different, the difference comes around. Sometimes I get a little bit defensive about calling yourself a thing if you're not earning money from it, because I think it is, in a way, you feel like you are having to prove yourself to people who aren't artists all the time, mm. that what you're doing is proper. But, 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 is it about you know. earning money or is it about craft and taking it seriously? Because, like, for me, the division is when someone, you know, I have friends, for example, who uh, they definitely don't make a living from, say, Poetry Slam, mm. but they're very clear about saying this is not a hobby. Like, I have invested time, yeah. there has been training, and I think you can have craft and you can have professionalism, but not necessarily be making a living from it. And you can, mm. that for me is a distinction. Have yeah. you just written something, you go out and do it, which is also cool, but it's like a different, it's just a different mm. thing. Or is this something that you've invested like serious energy and heart from your life in that you're continually mm. developing? Do mm. you see what I mean? Like yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess one of the reasons I get worked up about it is, is if I think about one of, one of my own points, which as I said was, oh my God, like, why am I failing at this thing? Like, I'm doing everything right, and I seem to be on paper doing everything right and really successful, but I'm in my overdraft all the time, and I'm mounting a credit card debt, and, and I've, got, I've got everything laid out for me for it to be easy, so what am I doing wrong? Mm. And then when I started making the interviews, a lot of the people I interviewed had so much shame around the fact mm. that they had these other income streams, and mm. that just, like makes you want to break things because oh. it's just it's not but seriously yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's it's not right like you're you, especially because i know especially through the interviews i know that a lot of people are just not upfront about mm. stuff so it's like it's much easier if you have a bar job you can't hide that you have yeah. a bar job but i mean if if you have a work from home admin job yeah, or if you're kind of being a bit cheeky being on the dole or if you're living with your mm. parents or if you're being supported by a partner who has like mm. a job that makes more money, you can hide all those yeah, things. Yeah. Not hide. You just mm. don't have to bring them up. Yeah. So why does a person yeah. who have, has the bar job, why are they less of an artist? Yeah, totally. Just because you have to say, oh, I have a bar job. The other person doesn't have to And I get that at work thing. when people come in who know me and they're like, oh... How, how are you like doing art now? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And they'll be like, oh, it's going well, isn't it? Like being well shady of me. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, actually it is going really well. I'm doing all these really big things, but like take six weeks for an invoice to come through It's like, allow me. But I, I get that backlash all the time from people that are trying to be like, but you still work on a bar though. And it's like, well, yeah, like what's wrong with that? And also like, I don't know, people, people are so secretive and that secret keeping is really damaging. For us as a community, we should all be kind of telling each other our secrets of how we are doing it and how we mm. are surviving. Like, I put on Facebook, because I don't know, I'm really like, just into like, doing this kind of more legitimately. And so when I'm doing applications and stuff, I still don't know what I'm doing at all. Like, and so I always put on Facebook, like, Facebook, please tell me your secrets and ask these questions. And it's so nice, and loads and loads of people now, it's become yeah. like a bit of a thing. Loads of people will write on it and give each other advice, and yeah. people post their like artist bios on there and like swap stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the same thing I have with like one of one of my best mates, Travis Alabanza, who like we kind of both are like similar age, started pretty much the same time, started doing these shows together, and we're constantly asking people that we know like how, what how have you done that? How have you got there? How did you do that? Like please can you read this for me or look at this? Like that's such an important part of being an artist because if you want to share your practice mm. you should share the ins and outs of it like mm. it's like when you go and see an artist talk and people only show you the things that have gone really well mm. 
And it's not a fair representation. Like, whenever I do an artist talk, I always try and read things out that sound awful that I've written. <laughs> or tell someone a time when I did something that went really wrong. I'd be like, this, yeah. this went really wrong. Don't think I'm only doing good things. Like, I've definitely made loads of mistakes. Like, that's part of it, too. But then I think, so two things I'd say. that One is that, I, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Mm. And I think the only way to have any clarity about what your rate should be and how to kind of go around things and how to negotiate situations it's to talk to other artists, and mm. I definitely think it's happening more. Yeah. Dan's been really good about it recently. I've noticed. I want to talk to you about Did that a bit as well, about about sharing information online around rates and stuff. Because oh. otherwise, <laughs> the funny thing that I learned as someone else programs is the only way you really find out what someone's rate is is if you if you offer them what? a gig. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that's so true. That's suddenly even people that you'd be like, oh, there'd be no way I could afford. I'm like, oh, damn. Oh, I'll do it for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. You know, but so but again, it's this, like this projection thing. But one of the things that came up when I was um, interviewing people, um, I think Bridget, my minimal, and I, I might yeah. have actually talked about this though. Is there's also like there's a certain I mean we are both art school graduates and then Goldsmiths as well which is like a special university yeah <laughs> yeah um, but there's a sense of in, entitlement that comes from going oh like I'm gonna reach out for further information because the other thing I've realized is for a lot of people you know Bridget talked about the fact that like even and I, I'm sure she okay be saying this because I, I interviewed her for the show mm. even having like um, been invited to the arts council for like a meeting with emerging poets around how can the Arts Council make this process like friendlier for mm. you? She still felt like she was someone who is not going to be funded. Yeah, and when yeah, I interviewed yeah. Stella Duffy, she also mm. talked about the fact that, you know, as a, as a working class woman and someone who was, you know, has credits as like a writer, um, as an actress um, producing projects, it's only until like literally in the last few years that she's like, okay, now I can now I can apply for a grant. And for a lot of people, yeah, there's just a sense of this is not for mm. me. Or maybe people will apply for something and then mm. if they don't get it, they'll just assume, oh, this is definitely not for me. Well, as for me, I was really blessed by the fact that I had a lot of friends, for example, who had been having Arts Council funding for shows mm. For years. The language is so exclusionary. Because I did, I I was going to, when I did this residency in Liverpool, originally I was going to apply for the Arts Council myself. And honestly, I'm really dyslexic and that form is... Um, it's just not doable and then I met up with this person from Luton who was like this wicked working class woman she was like come on we'll, we'll try and do it together and I was like okay and in the end I ended up not having to do it because the space did it for me and they applied as part of their yearly program mm. so it's, and, and I can honestly say hand on heart I've never got anything that I've done an application for ever in my career the only things I've got have been things that I've contacted spaces and been like you haven't put a thing out, but I'm telling you that we should do this thing together. And they've mm. gone, oh, okay, like, I've just sent them a proposal with no holes in it and it's worked. But I've never got an application. Oh. I don't know how to do them. Like, the Arts Council is so tied up in horrible language that I do not speak. But I think yeah. it's not, it's difficult because I think it's more complex than that. I think, yeah, there's something around the language for sure. But I think, I think, um, and it's weird because this is something that um, seems to relate to class somehow. There's so many people and it's like not the fault of the Arts Council who just feel it's an institution that yeah, is not totally. for them. And, the, and, I, and, it, and it's really painful because I've spoken to enough people at the Arts Council where that is absolutely not what they're about. Well, that's what I mean, what that language want. feeds into that idea because you read it and you feel like it's not aimed at you. So you just immediately go, oh, that's not for me. Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, I'm really interested actually in the last year I've noticed like a number of um, artist-run kind of initiatives like Buzzcut, for example, who in addition to having... Um, 
uh, routes of application through forms, allow people to send videos. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's that would be difficult with something like, with like a G4A, but mm -hmm. I think if there's something about, it's true, just filling out a form, even just assuming that you're going to have broadband mm -hmm. access, I, I mean, it, it kind of... It kind of denotes a certain level of privilege already. Yeah, it's, it's also most of the time. Yeah, yeah just, the time is too much. And it totally ties into the whole, you know, coming from a family that supports you financially, having the no not pay rent in London. These are all add up to just hours. You don't have to mm. do another job, and not just hours. The rest you need, the brain space yeah, you need. Yeah, the, totally. you know, I think the first time I applied, I almost felt like it was the arts council mistake that I didn't get the foot. It was just like, wow. it's like, no, but it was just like, I know I can do this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Clearly I just got it wrong. But yeah. if you don't know anyone who's had funding before and you have no relationship to those yeah. institutions, and even for me, when you're talking about forms, you know what taught me how to fill forms? Doing a master's at Goldsmiths. I mean, that's mm. kind of ridiculous that I kind of had to do a master's in Goldsmiths to be comfortable enough around around art speak and about talking my practice in that kind of way that I then can confidently apply for things. It doesn't yeah, yeah. make I, any sense. I, you know, I was, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm first generation uni. My dad's a black cab driver. It's, you mm. know, um, and it was that university experience that got me into performing to begin with. But then that uni, uh, the stuff like the performing stuff on the side got me my first job, which was in a business consultancy, which worked in the arts. That's the only reason I know uh, the backs behind the scenes mm. stuff of the arts. I've ne never grew up with that sort of thing. Um, and I think if I'd not happened to fall into these things, if I'd just done my degree and not fought to form as a drummer, if I'd decided to be a poet like five years after not doing that job, I would have massively struggled. I would have known nobody mm. and I wouldn't have known the jargon. I don't even know what the Arts Council was. You know, at uni, it's like... But I don't even think it has you know. to be about jargon. I mean, I think, it, mm. I think, I think we have, it's more important, it's more important to learn how to be clear about yeah. talking about your work because yeah. there's also... I've seen horrific, I'm sure, I'm sure if we had someone from the Arts Council here, they would tell horror stories of like, <laughs> you know, wading through, through jargon. Mm. And I've met people who, who I think are the other extreme where we're talking about, where I'm like, oh wow, you naturally speak as yeah. if you've written an art statement for gallery, because <laughs> you've been in that system yeah. for so, so long. long. Yeah. And like, that's not helpful either. Yeah. And I definitely, I would encourage anyone listening to this who feels overwhelmed by it, to reach out to both people you know, and people you don't know and just say, I'm trying to navigate how this works. And I do, I have noticed, I think the Arts Council more and more is like holding sessions through other organizations, mm. for example, to help you negotiate getting through your first G4A. Also, if you know other people who want to apply for funding, doing it at the same time super helps because yeah, if you both yeah, kind of yeah. get stuck, you can read things back to each yeah. other. I would really, really That's advise cool. that. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask one more question and then, and then maybe spend 15 minutes on a few things that have happened in the last six months because I also want to say that um, in making Show Me The Money I created this development blog and you can find it on showmethemoney.tumblr.com uh, the, the, the E in money is with the three because <laughs> I don't know um, but it's, it's a blog is really important to me because it, it continues to kind of further this conversation that we're having above and beyond the show and uh, so I want to quickly ask about rates like how do you guys decide and determine your rates. But maybe like a fun way into that conversation is uh, to be transparent in this very moment and say that this podcast actually comes from a uh, Arts Council funded series. Thank you, Arts Council. <laughs> um, 
so we're all being paid to be yeah. here, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting paid 152 pounds. We don't know what the two pounds is called. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, I needed a cup of tea on the way here, I guess. And Dan and Liv? We've been paid 75. 75. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's, that's the rate that was given for this. But mm-hmm. what is your rate generally? And I... how do you deal with that question? It it's so nebulous. There's no frame. It doesn't feel like there's any fish. You know, Society of Authors will say there's this for writing this kind of thing. There's Apple and Snakes will have their daily rates, and it's so tricky because you're always weighing in kind of experience level, perceived level of reputation. You're working in how much time it's going to be. It's so hard. To decide I don't know. Of... I've got pretty flat rates. Do you? Yeah, I don't really mess around with it. What What do you... If I'm doing a 20-minute set, uh, I won't do it. Um, between 60 and £100 pounds mm. is what I would ask. Yeah. If it's something with loads of money, I might ask for more. Mm. Um, if I'm working, if I'm doing a, a like set in a big art institution, like if I'm doing the V&A or Tate or something like that, I'll probably ask for 150 if I'm doing a daily, if I'm doing like a four-hour schools workshop, two hundred fifty pounds minimum, um, probably like two hundred if I, mm. if it was, I don't know, a, like poorer school or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've got pretty flat rates, and I post them around everywhere. I'm like, this is how much it is if you want me to come and do this thing with you. And then um, I also run um, a series of panels called uh, Lessons in Anti Apathy which is like getting together like activist groups um, to talk on panels and be completely transparent about how they organise and how they how they get all their work done. And so for that, I normally pay myself like £100 and pay everyone else 75 quid um, to come and do it. So yeah, I don't know. I've got pretty, I've got pretty standard rates. Obviously, they are lenient. Obviously, the situation will yeah, always yeah, make yeah. a difference. Um, but yeah, I think £250 a day is, is a good rate for an artist considering it's incredibly draining doing that work with young people, particularly because yeah. of the like content of my stuff's really heavy. can be a really, really emotional day. And the amount of labour that goes into the behind of it. Because mm. when I started doing poetry, I was only charging like 40 quid, I think, when I started for like a 20-minute set. But now, because I'm much more aware of how much labour goes into writing and memorising that stuff, and practice, I, practice for a, I practice for an hour and a half every day, yeah. and like you know, that will never be paid and yeah, that will yeah, never, yeah. never show. So I don't feel guilty now if I'm like, no, I'm not doing it for less than like 60 to 100 pounds yeah. because it's, it's all of my life, <laughs> you know? Would, would you, yeah, I agree. Everything that you've said is, and that kind of chimes pretty much with me as well oh. in terms of rates and stuff. Um, I also could do a lot of that. If I'm doing like project management side mm-hmm. of things, or for a funded project, that'll be let that'll be less than my poetry yeah, yeah. because I think that's a more basic skill. Mm-hmm. A lot more people are project managers than they're poets, yeah, so yeah. I rate that as less money. Um, so that's like yeah, let's say like two hundred a day or something for that. Um, in terms of gigs, though, this is where I'm really interested. I would, oh, I'd, if it's a funded gig, if it's mm-hmm. a popular gig that I know is going to sell a load of tickets and I know there's money coming into the promoters, I will check. Yeah, I'll ask for a fee. But if it's like a mate who's mm. organized a gig and they're just starting out like yeah i, I mean and they go there's a couple of drinks in it so yeah of course mm. it's still the same effort yeah yeah um, i think because yeah. i don't do i'm not on the it's weird because i'm a i'm a poet but i'm mm. not on the poetry scene okay i haven't really done any poetry gigs mm. i've done i've done a couple of like features and stuff yeah. but I, my poetry cv i haven't done anything at, at poetry stuff this year i'm yeah. kind of much more in like the fine art bracket so i think it's quite different mm, yeah but i feel like i would still i would still like 
I'm not saying that I would never ever perform. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm the same as you. Like, if, 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 what, if I had to do a favour, like, I'd do yeah. a favour. What I also find interesting is um, there was a period where I went through that. I, uh, I went, like, I'm not going to do... I, I deserve... This was about three years ago, mm. so I first started out sort of freelancing. Um, I was like, I'm not going to do a gig unless it's paid. No, no to everything. I started saying no to everything, and all my other work dried up. Oh, really? So for me, what I realised is that gigging if, is probably my lowest paid thing when it is paid. Mm. Um, but what I don't, what stops happening is I stop meeting teachers, mm. which means a 300 to 350 yeah, pound yeah. day in a school. I stop meeting other poets from promoters who might book me for a paid gig mm. or book me for some facilitation work or whatever. So I kind of started putting in my business language kind of head, I put gigs down as like business development, mm. networking, all that kind of stuff. It's my shop window. Yeah, yeah, really. It's, so I kind of started going, oh no, I have to say yes to every gig. Mm. Um, so I, one thing I wanted to go back to a little bit, and it does touch on talking about sort of charging fees for gigs and stuff like that, is when we talk about rates and stuff, I think that's a great conversation for us to have with each other. I'm a little bit hesitant to widen it to uh, people making festivals, people booking mm. events, because they have a light, an eye on the bottom line as well. They have their own budgetary concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a danger, maybe it's just me being paranoid, that we drive our rates down because, oh, I can get you for 100, but I can get this person who's, I think, as good, mm. and they say it's No, I actually, I think Do you it's, think? I think uh, it's actually the reverse. Because I, yeah, because yeah. I've, mm. I've been in a few situations I, um, in the last couple years where someone, I've been booking different people. Mm. Well, okay, both sides. I've been uh, booking different people on behalf of, say, someone else, organization, and it's like, oh, this person costs this, this person this, and the perception is, someone has a higher fee mm. and they're immovable about it. Mm. And you start to go, oh, well, why is their rate like mm. X? And on the flip side, um, because I sort of did things in stages and I, I kind of said, I don't do unpaid gigs anymore a, a few years ago. I do actually sometimes, but it depends. It has to be like particular circumstances. And what I found ironically is I've said to people, oh, sorry, I don't really do unpaid gigs anymore. Yeah. Or, or even increasingly, I won't do a gig for this amount of money because it's, mm. it's too little to be worth my time. Mm. And then they would come back to me six months or a year later and they've offered me that gig. Well, that, for, yeah, because yeah. yeah. they've yeah. kind of gone, or they've written me and go, oh, we can't afford you, but yeah. we'll come, and then they've come back. I, so it's about when you do it as well because I feel like in yeah. my first year or so, if I did that, then I just never would have heard of them again. But now I think it might be that I've built a yeah, profile yeah, to a yeah, level yeah, yeah, yeah. where people kind of go, oh, fair enough. You know. But what's tricky is you'll never know what work you never got offered. Because they have a perception of you, and it might have been like 25 quid short, and you go, you know what, that week I was quiet. I but, could have done that work. Yeah, but then it's, for me, it's always, I always go in and say, this is what I charge mm. given the situation. But if that's an issue, yeah. come back. Because I think, I think if you say, this is, this is what I charge, but you know, if that if that kind of knocks it out, then mm-hmm. like let's have Talk a conversation. Me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, then yeah, the yeah. person I've never had a situation where someone's like, well, then we just can't do it. Yeah, Generally, right. what they do is like we can't do it now, and they come back to me. Yeah, yeah. Or they go, we can't do it for that, but we'd really love to have you. Would yeah. you consider it for this? But if you don't even come in, if you, I mean, I think you're right. I think you just come in and say, lockdown. This is what, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's true too. It depends mm-hmm. how you feel about the mm-hmm. gig. And sometimes you do that and you're like, oh, right, they're actually giving me that. Amazing. But yeah. for me, the, the, the golden space is saying, this is what I normally charge, mm. but you mm. know, up to having a conversation, tell yeah. me what your budget is, and yeah. then people will say, great, okay, could you do it for this? And then you, you bring it back and forth. But you, if you just, if you 
I don't know. I feel like if you don't do that, the person booking you is always going to try to get you for as little as possible. Of course. Because yeah, totally. that's what they're yeah. trying to do. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I think that's, that's the game. As a promoter, like, of course, like, I'm trying to make sure that things will actually be affordable and give mm. as many chances to as many people as possible sort of thing. But I think, yeah. I think there's also something really difficult about like having having like because I'm even thinking right now about like my rate and I can say off the top of my head 250 pounds a day would be a day rate like that for me would be like a fair full day workshop Mm -hmm. you know um it would be what I would charge for say editing or like videography stuff for day that's like Mm -hmm. from my old rate back in the day it probably Mm -hmm. could go up um there have been a few times I've done hosting for corporate gigs and I've charged around uh 400 pounds for comparing, I even think now I know that's low by some mm, standards. Yeah. But when you start getting into like rates for say uh, spoken word performances or what I would charge as a show fee, then it starts to get very complex because it's based on so many things. It's mm. like, what's the budget of this institution? Yeah. What am I going to get in terms of exposure? Who else is on the bill? Like, what is the ticket price? Mm. And then me kind of like weighing up this rubric of like, well, um, so it, it would mean that I'm performing in this space and I could maybe leverage that against this. Mm. Um, maybe it'll mean I can promo something else that's important. Maybe I'm going to develop artistically for mm. these reasons. And so I, I find it almost impossible to go, it's, yeah. it's this, yeah. within that kind of realm. Yeah. But what I can say is I think, I think one thing that's a real division is because over the last three years I've been making a decision to to move more away from spoken word and more into live art and theater In theater. I'm much more like, like I see myself as an emerging artist, as a, as a performance maker, Mm -hmm. because I've only been doing it for three years. Mm -hmm. I see myself as an established spoken word artist because I've been doing it for seven years and I've been doing it internationally in a quite high profile way. And those gigs are, are, don't stretch me as much. So it's Mm -hmm. easier for me to say, if you're not going to give me this fee, then Then it's not really worth it. Well, as a theater, um, and cabaret, I'm just really keen to be developing that skill set and be building a profile. So I'm much more likely to be like, yeah, a gig that I wouldn't do, say I wouldn't do, I don't know, I wouldn't do like 10 minutes for uh, less than 50 pounds in a mm. spoken word gig. I totally would do a cabaret set because yeah, I'm just yeah, trying yeah, to get yeah. paid gigs within, within yeah. that. So those are things that yeah. it's kind of hard to put up. Which so, might be a really so. great, great way to segue into, I want to I give a little shout to an artist who I think has been doing really interesting work around all this, um, called Harry Giles. Mm-hmm. Harry Giles, uh, who is, uh, you should definitely follow on Twitter, I think he's like at A-I-T-C-H. He jokes that he's good on Twitter. He is actually amazing on Twitter. <laughs> and he, he's someone I interviewed early on for Show Me The Money, and um, he recently did this brilliant thing where he has posted an annual report of all of his finances as an artist on his blog, uh, which is at Harry Giles, Harry, H-R-R-Y-G-I-L-E-S dot org, and it's workings and earnings as an artist, my annual finances. So Dan and Liv have looked at this. Is this something that you would consider doing yourselves? Why or why not? I have, I really have considered it recently. I was going to do an Edinburgh budget breakdown after coming back from the fringe, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I should do my year. Um, I haven't done it yet. Mm. I'd be scared about how much it would be so revealing I yeah. spend 80% of my money in the pub <laughs> <laughs> and my mum would see it and everyone would be like live but would that be an good. artist's expense no yeah definitely sometimes 
it's just a life expense. Isn't it? I think it would be interesting to um, show it. Also because my bar job's cash in hand, but then um, some some of the art stuff I do, like if I get a big fee, it looks like I'm earning money that's mm. more than it is, and it, it's yeah. really it's really confusing. Like. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I would I would show it. Also, though, because I'm currently living in a four-bed house with 10 people and we all pay, like, no rent and it's hell, but it's the only way to kind of do it. Yeah. And then before that, I was squatting for a bit. So, like, there's some kind of... There's there's costs that I don't have to pay, but a massive compromise to, like, my existence and mental health and general well-being and whether I'm sleeping in a bed or a floor. Like, those kind of things, I think, aren't represented very... Like, someone could look yeah. at my thing and be like, oh, she doesn't yeah, pay yeah, her yeah, rent. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, good. Yeah. But it's, like, at what cost? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? detail, the level of detail you yeah. put into it is really what's good. You'd have to really pick it apart for it to be a fair representation, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's partly what's made me hesitate. If, it, it kind of goes back to the rates thing as well. If, if schools look at it and go, you charge that school 250 mm. quid and this school 100 quid, mm. that other school is going to feel ripped off, even though that maybe was a fair rate for them. Or maybe actually it was a private school, so I thought I'd bump my fee a bit. Which is totally, totally real, yeah. But the, I don't think the person who booked me at the private school would necessarily see it like that because they go, well, you're doing the same eight hours whether you do it in state school or private school. And anyway, so I think there's an element of that, which is why I was talking about the rates yeah, thing as yeah, well. Um, and maybe you went, you know what, it's, a, it's my old school. That's why I charge 100 quid because that's all they can afford. Whatever. There yeah. are reasons for us to do things that aren't transparent to people on the mm. outside. Other artists, we understand that not necessarily other promoters or uh, or some people in the admin side of things and schools, wherever. Um, yeah, I mean, part of me, I, when I do, I do like professional development stuff and try and get people to think about if they want to start earning some money from their art, how they can make, practically make that happen. And we do stuff like budgeting. We do stuff like, mm. how, where are you earning money from? Let's talk about where, who that is and all that sort of stuff. I kind of talk, I talk to them about how my incomes over the last five years, whatever. Because I think that's useful and illuminating, mm. and at the end of the day, that's the income I know about, except for Harry and Bridie Gimmings. Mm. Um, would I do it? I'm, I'm really tempted. There's a really, actually, actually, we should Amazing. answer this. There's a really, really, really good um, podcast about this on Planet Money that will link to this about a company, I think, in San Francisco that decided that they were going to do total. Because I didn't realize, like, Pay transparency, especially in the startup sector, is like a whole movement mm. anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super relevant for us as artists to be paying attention to. But yeah, sorry. Well, the thing, the thing is, again, in more established businesses, more structured kind of jobs, when it doesn't happen, it does mean this is why women are paid less. This is why people mm. of color are paid less. But it's also one of those all or nothing things. I mean, mm. it, I, I mean, you've got to have people setting the pace for it, like like Harry and, and Brian and stuff. But I don't know. You've got to reach a critical mass of it. Maybe I, that sounds too scared. I know. I wonder, scared. you know, because I have to admit, thinking about it, like I feel, um, I feel like what I want to be able to do is have total transparency with, with other artists, yes. but not necessarily for all the reasons you said yeah, with organization, because there's yeah. so many things where it's like, and I've recently been in a situation a lot recently where I said yes to work, and then you know, sig like signif significantly higher paid work has come along, and I've been a bit like. Uh, this is actually what also comes to agreeing to something being locked down mm. by, you know, starting to think like, well, maybe, maybe those like hard and fast gigs mm. should be reserved for when you're really getting paid yeah, properly, yeah. properly for something. And with things where you're kind of doing a favor, there should be room to be like, well, I'll do this, but I should be able to pull yeah. out a month before. Yeah, real. Yeah, 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 yeah. And explaining that in a document, I don't know. It's mm. like, there's probably like for me, like such a huge variance between mm. what I charge in different situations. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I think what's heartbreaking for me is I think I, I'm beginning to realize that 
almost all my income, which is nothing. I mean, I made like nine grand last year is, is basically spent on my practice. Yeah, like same. I see pretty much all my money is spent on going to theater, going to exhibitions and seeing films, having drinks with my friends about the exhibitions and theater and the films <laughs> that I've seen, yeah. which I actually think yeah. is still working. Yeah, totally. So Mine's, I'm like that. Cause I've got a studio now for the first time ever, because I just, after coming back off my residency, I was like, I was, the moment I had my own space, I realised that I made much like more exciting work. Mm. The whole time I was just like had nowhere to go and was just writing in my phone on my laptop. I thought that was my practice. The moment I had a space, wow. I was like, oh my god, do all this other shit as well. So when I came back, I was like determined to get this studio. So I've got this studio. It's 150 pounds a month, which is quite a lot of money for me. It's great though. It's for amazing, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. completely like completely re-energised my practice and made me so excited. But the other side of that is now I've I've made this decision that I need this studio. So I will be living in shit situation for like the whole time I want that studio, then my housing will have to be less. And it's yeah, okay, because yeah, in my head yeah, I'm yeah. like, I can still go to my studio if I'm living in a house with 10 people, it's all right. But it's at that cost, you know, it's like the same, like all of, all of the money that I get in is going straight back out all the time into into my practice and into, mm. into doing the things that I want to do, into research, all that kind of stuff, you know, traveling to have a coffee with someone who may or may not book you for something, oh, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's eight quid, eight quid, yeah, eight quid exactly. on the oyster, and they always four quid on coffee. And at the end of the line and you're like, all oh, right, man. cool. Like, it's oh, just man. disaster. It's endless. So I want to I wanna round up with your quick thoughts on things that have happened recently. So... What do you guys feel at Talking Up first? Can Art. we do artist zones because I'm raging about it? Okay. <laughs> Go for it. I'm so Rage. annoyed about it. This is great Rage. also because I met Liv recently. David booked Liv for the show, but just before that, I met her because we both did this thing for um, the midnight run, which was a midday run, mm. in Hackney Wick, looking at how gentrification is affecting Hackney Wick. So mm. it seems... Quite yeah. appropriate for you to yeah. jump in on that. I just like, because I've just squatted a building, well, I squatted a building with Sisters Uncut for a couple of months. You should say Sisters Pesca. Uncut are, because people might not Oh, yeah. Know. Sisters Uncut are a feminist direct action group um, who campaign against the cuts to domestic violence support systems in the UK. They're doing loads of stuff. We've got a big action. Oh, no, this won't come out today. We've just had a big action, and there was another big action. They were on the roof of Hackney Council yesterday with giant flares and loudspeakers. But, yeah, they're really amazing. We squatted a building um, in Southwark on Peckham Rye um, to demonstrate that there's 1,270 empty buildings currently in Suffolk, but only Southwark, um, but only... Uh, 26 available beds each night for women seeking refuge, which boils down to like three houses. Um, but we did that because Southwark Council is particularly really bad. Um, but also in, in terms of like opening up these artist spaces, I find it really frustrating because there's this kind of annoying thing that uh, the kind of government do where they, they understand that the arts are really important and that culture is really, really important, particularly in our city and how we how we exist. They also understand that like most of this culture comes from like marginalised groups and marginalised communities um, and they want to look like they care. But, mm -hmm. So they do things like this and they say it will be an affordable space to live. But it's it, even that, if, if that was to be created for me, makes me feel really uncomfortable because why is an artist more deserving of, yeah. of secure... Um, secure home than a working class person or someone who's on job seekers or any of these things or a family who has disabled parents anything like that yeah. these people are already not being given anywhere safe to live and like to bring back to Sisters Uncut there are so many people like women that need safe housing that it is not available for and like why is it that because you're an artist you're more deserving mm -hmm. of a of a cheap place to live than a woman who's seeking refuge and a safe space to exist with a family like I just think it's a really unhealthy way to look at how to kind of make the city survive. I don't think it's right. Yeah. 
Sorry, that's quite random. <laughs> no, that's uh, all, all valid points. Yeah. Dan? Uh, all that. <laughs> um, and, in, and slightly in addition, like it does feel not necessarily, it feels like that gentrification thing. You'd like that is how much is that going to add to your house prices mm. because you've got a lovely little artist yeah. block next to you. Like, great, wonderful. And also, um, how I'd be really interested to know what they're proposing in terms of how you get into this because mm. again if we're talking about how difficult it is to fill an arts council application because mm. you need to know the, you need the time the jargon a little bit and the the uh the just the i don't know the knowledge and the self-esteem to be mm. able to think you deserve that who's gonna what artists are gonna be yeah that's yeah. that's such an interesting point because i mean i think i don't know i feel like um i don't want it's really difficult because I, res I respect the fact that the issues that I've been looking at around the precariousness of being an artist, especially how complex it is being in London, the fact that you have no job security, you're not making money, that you're making you know less than the tax bracket, like and, and it gets harder the older you get, all this sort of stuff. And I think it's really great that, that the information around that has hit a fever pitch where we have the government going, what do we do to actually, so we don't completely lose out in having an artist community in our city. But then you're, but it is, it, you're right. There also becomes this thing of, even if you support this idea of, we need to support artist communities, and if we don't in the hyper-capitalist city we live in, there will be no artists in the city anymore. Then you start to question, which are the artists who have access yeah, to these it? safe zones? Exactly. exactly. And also, like, there are things like housing And what are they talking know? about? Like, yeah. what are they, do you know what I mean? It suddenly kind of becomes, because um, that's the other thing I think that makes me really anxious about who can afford to be an artist because as artists I think there is a really important role of being a mirror to society and like contributing to society and and not being part of the establishment in that way but then if, if you get into one of these schemes I don't know so it's yeah. it's a bit yeah. it's a bit tricksy but that's, yeah. we'll see what happens with it mm. but that's what it is and then the last thing we'll end on is um I have nothing to say about this, <laughs> just because I don't. E I literally don't even know where to start. But um, and I'm sure I have a really strong feeling that anyone I've met the Arts Council is horrified by this as well. But who knows? So the Arts Council is going to try to impose quantitative measures of arts quality. Um, what I will say is, in my research, I've noticed there's a lot of really confused conversation around how do you measure how do you measure the value of art. Um, which no one really has an answer for, and people are very like. Uh, uh, I think insecure about. So, what do you guys think about this? And maybe you could explain what what this is going to mean. The the quality metrics pilot. Do Do they even know? Like entirely. Um, Dan is going to try to understand what it is. <laughs> what uh, in 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 bunny quotes a meaningful measure of artistic quality that yields consistent and comparable comparable findings across different art forms. Total organization. Let's compare this opera to this piece of street graffiti. Yeah. Okay, that's gonna be easy. That's like that street graffiti is four point two, and that opera was ten point nine. Why? What? Yeah. What? Like and it, and it, it's it's annoying, <laughs> isn't it? Because like I don't know. It, it as much as I feel like my art practice is really invested in like social ideas and like wanting uh, better for 
things and people. I don't necessarily feel that all artists should have that responsibility. Not every artist has to be yeah, making community absolutely. work all the time or yep. has to be making work for young people. Yep. And the problem with Arts Council is that that's kind of what they can get away with funding, really, is stuff that, that you have to have the outreach, don't you? They ask you on your form, like, how many people is this going to affect? Like, what's what's the outcome of that? And then what does it mean? Like, well, who can say that, like, someone doing a really beautiful, heartfelt poem to a room of 10 people mm. is less valuable than someone who's got a theatre of 300 people? What, because that's more? Like, I, I just don't understand. But you have to understand, that, you know, I, I agree with you, but I think what's tricky from, from their perspective is they have to justify them funding yes. us, you know? Yeah. It's like, we think it's, and this is where it gets really, really tricky also around transparency. It's like, I think, I think that the you know, fees we're given, for example, to be here mm. for a couple hours are, are reasonable mm. or good, could even, could even be higher actually. Someone else will go, what, you know, you're getting, you're getting paid 50 quid to like sit in a room and talk about art and money. Like, mm. how is that, like, how, why should you even be paid for that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And social engagement, and this is where I think they get backed in a corner a bit, like social engagement is like a much easier thing mm. to defend in terms mm. of funding. It is a public good. I mean, there's even an argument of maybe the work that is funded work should be should have to be social invested be, because it's a public yeah. good. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that. what I, I mean though isn't, I, yeah, I think what I mean though is that some someone talking about something like to talk I guess to talk about it in terms of po like like for example I do poetry where I speak about like being a survivor of domestic violence you could put me in a room of 100 people maybe that will only affect yeah 10 yeah like or well I mean statistically it'll be a lot more but like mm. say it affects 10 people um then then what does that mean does that mean that my my like my grading on this score is less because not everyone in the room can connect with what i'm saying because i'm not because i'm not speaking about something that everyone can identify with do you know what i mean like yeah is that also, seeking for like mass kind of blanketing of like let's all talk about one thing like, i mean i just i would like i really wish i really wish there would be more there would more i mean one of the things that it kind of came up is like there's this there's like a whole um new strand of like economics uh, that looks at culture and measuring intrinsic value through like economic mm. um, uh, theory, basically. And like one of the reports I remember reading was in Australia, and it'd be things like I found this super interesting. Like they would they would ask people, for example, if they felt it was important that there was um, a national opera, and then mm. almost always people would say yes. And yeah. then it's just like, okay, but have you ever been to the opera? And like ninety percent of people would say no. And things like this, I think, are quite interesting because it's like measuring the value of something and the worth of something is a lot more complicated than just well you know subjective response like how many people is it reaching and also i think um the arts are a really intricate ecology where like i okay yeah fair enough like i might see a piece that is very very experimental and like left field and wouldn't make sense to the general public but it might inspire me yeah. in a way when I'm running a workshop with young mm. people. It might also make me create a piece in a different way that does reach a big audience. And you need all of that, like all of that needs to be supported, you know? Mm. So mm. I, I, I don't know, it's hard. I feel like there must there are different ways to measure value. Mm. And I feel like I'm nervous that this is not the best, this is a very clunky way, mm. but I also appreciate what incredible, like vulnerable, difficult position they're in yeah. mm. to defend what is like, what is such a tiny part of the national budget? <laughs> it just yeah. made me so furious. Like the money that we put in the automobile industry or like, or the arms industry, mm. which I personally would not like to have any money behind. Mm. Um, and everyone just accepts that. I mean, the government supports pretty much every kind of business I can think of. 
why not the arts? We should wrap up, but I, yeah. as an end question, how has it made it different for you guys being paid for your involvement in this in this show? Yeah, so I, I obviously was called in last minute today. I had a whole day of admin planned. Thank you for rescuing me. <laughs> um, I, I, I wouldn't have, no, if, it, if this was an unpaid thing, I, I would have gone, oh, that sounds nice, but I've actually got a lot of admin to do. Yeah. But, you know, this is a paid gig, so you say yes to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's part of the, I kind of like, I like the word hustle in arts as well. Yeah. You have to, I think hustle is a good word sometimes. You do have to hustle a bit. Um, and that means uh, saying yes to everything, mm. a lot in particular if it's paid work. Um, so yeah, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank I you. think it's just, yeah, I don't know, I guess for me, because I'm still really new, I just like the fact that people <laughs> rate what I chat. <laughs> it's nice, but yeah, no, it means I can go and get out my overdraft. Yeah. <laughs> by, by 60 quid. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, perfect. Amazing. Um, yeah, I, actually, I'd like to, could you explain if it allows you to be more professional about turning up to that as well? Well, I know you though, innit? So I just I did what you was, said. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was worried about you coming. <laughs> no, no, but like, did it, does it enable you to be, because you know you're being paid, does it enable you to put, like, Dan, were you able to put your admin thoughts aside today? Yes. Could, could, you, Very much so. Thing, yeah. you know, Very much so, yes. If I, I mean, like I said, I probably, like, in all honesty, as lovely as this is, I probably wouldn't have come if it wasn't paid. Mm. If I'd been in Deptford, maybe, if mm. I'd had a, if I was coming from, like, a workshop around here or a meeting or something, then it's kind of convenient, but it's an hour and a half across London for me, yeah, so yeah. it's three hours of my day travelling today, um, plus the two hours we're here. So that's kind of five hours. I wouldn't mm. have taken that out, not, not paid if it wasn't convenient. So in terms of it being a professional decision, definitely, um, it was worth my time professionally. Has it changed what I've said today? That's a, that's like that's Schrodinger's cat question, isn't it? I don't know. I don't think so. I hope I. I think it. No. I, no. I'm gonna say no because I think when you do give yourself over to something, if it's a voluntary thing, a charitable thing, your own time of giving up, you should ded dedicate yourself to that as much as you would have done a paid work. Otherwise, you shouldn't say yes to it because you don't really believe in it. Then, if you're just doing it because you think you should. I would have. I don't think it's changed how I related to the work. Uh, being paid in, in that sense also because I really respect you David and so mm -hmm. I would have gone okay well I'm going to take this seriously because it's for David but maybe what it definitely does is it probably it probably makes me a little bit more present because I'm not mm -hmm. here worrying about money anything else yeah I mean I am actually mm -hmm. worrying about money but, I, but I'm not worrying about I haven't been worrying about money as we've been recording this because it's like okay this is a gig yes. and it's for David and we're being paid and so live Dan, and they're and they're getting paid too, which also yeah. makes me feel good. Uh, yeah. I'm much. That's an interesting thing. That I think I would say that I definitely feel there's an increased level of comfort knowing that I am I am involving other artists who I am paying. Like that's mm. that's very different. Yeah. I feel that in a very strong way. But in terms of if it changes, what I say, maybe the only thing I feel I feel particularly um, sensitive around. Ever since uh, I got funding for Show Me the Money and this knowing this is also Arts Council funded is I definitely was much more critical about the Arts Council before I got the, the funding. But I think the funny thing is what's made me made me a little bit more sympathetic was not even so much getting the funding, but it was bizarrely just total coincidence. I've met so many people who work for the Arts Council in the last year and all of them have been really courageous, like committed, warm, overworked 
caring people who are just as frustrated by all the things that artists are frustrated about. And so now I feel like even when I say things that are critical, I always have to kind of like counter with like, yeah, I feel this, but it's important for us to mention that, you know, because I think I also know there are a lot of people who just get really angry and wound up about the Arts Council and they've gotten incredibly... I would, I would not want to work that I can't imagine, really. <laughs> Actually, I, yeah, I didn't want to get too involved today, and I've sat most of it out, but since you made that point, I think I was really sceptical in the same way that Liv, because like, we were going through the... We were looking yeah, at we were doing at the it same together, time, we? Lots of drink, lots of coffee at the Beck and Pelican, yeah. which is the best, <laughs> the best place in the country. To um, But having met people who work... Um, within the Arts Council socially and a more official way that, and they've been named on my application so that's that, that's all official and above board but when you meet people that work within there and you realise how passionate they are about supporting the arts and yeah. um, there's a very big difference between I think it's an important thing to say the people that work for the Arts Council and the, the measures that are being brought in now yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as an organisation the way the Arts Council feel obliged to justify how they're using public money these are different. These are important differences in the conversation that needs to be had. I think. Um, I just want. I think it's. I'm eternally grateful for the people that have given me advice, mm. both those who have had funding themselves, people that have been knocked back, and people that work for the Arts Council. Yeah. I would not have gotten the money for this podcast project if it wasn't for transparency mm. from people. Um, yeah. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation today because mm. had people not been honest with me. There's no way I'd have finished that form. Mm. I probably sure, wouldn't even yeah. started the form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so overwhelming. And I have to admit, like, as I said, like, you know, I, it took me, maybe it's worth saying, it took me two rounds of, of applying um, on two different projects to get funding. Mm. It took me the first time, probably the better part of three months, like around other stuff. The second time, maybe I got it down to a month and a half, two. I had four people look at my first application. I went through at least six or seven drafts on my second application. Wow. It was read by five or six other people. I had two artists share successful applications with me the first time round. Um, I had four to five artists share with me successful applications the second time round. And I have shared my, my successful application now with probably nine or 10 different artists. And for me, I actually think that's the only, if you're doing it for the first time, that is literally, I think, the, the only way if you don't live in London, you, you're really lucky. You can probably actually get a meeting with someone and talk it through. If you live in London, you might not. But there are lots of organizations, like, for example, Arts Admin, that organize uh, sessions where they come and they help you talk to yourself. So we should wrap up. But I just yeah. wanted to say thank you to David for inviting me to guest host this. Thank you to Dan and Liv. You can check them out on links that are going to be posted online. And also, if you want to follow this conversation further, I would love, love, love for you to get on my Tumblr, which I guess there might be a link for, and to come and see the, one of the next two London performances of Show Me the Money, which will be at Camden People's Theatre on the, on, the, on the 14th and 15th of October at 9pm. And actually all that week from the Monday, which I should know off the top of my head, but I don't, um, I've been invited to curate two of the windows for Camden People's Theatre. And so in each of these two windows, there's going to be a different artist who is using it as their artist studio for the day. Dan is going to be one of those artists to answer the question of what we do all day, but also to kind of look at this crazy question of like how ridiculously expensive and important studio space is to London artists and how actually having a window for a day seems like a mm. pretty good gig for most yeah. of us. 
Um, and the idea for me came out of being in the window for the Whose London Is It Anyway project mm -hmm. and having the horrific realization at the end of the day that if it was affordable, I would actually totally be up for having one of those windows that I can mm -hmm. barely fit in. So I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it there. Mm -hmm. Goodbye.